Trading update. Can you trade speculation? Yes, just see it for what it is, keep position sizes small and have a rolling stop loss. I don't belong to the camp that says don't trade it at all, but be aware of the volatility and don't buy something because somebody on Reddit or whatever is telling you to. I noticed after a sell-off Argo was heading back up so grabbed some at 110. Technicals were pointing to a big move up, Bitcoin techs were pointing to a substantial move as well so took the plunge. It wasn't a big position and there was a rolling stop loss set at 20%. Then it took off. It hit 305 within a couple of days and technicals were looking stretched so took a look on some spread betting platforms and, no surprise, you weren't allowed to buy but only sell. So took a quick profit of 175%. I will very likely be back to this one after a sell-off as Bitcoin still seems likely to head a lot higher over time. I know. I have to keep double-checking myself but the technicals point to more to come in the long term so we'll trade in and out of Argo as long as crypto seems a viable trade. Kinex has been dragging its feet so sold at 117. Money from this went into diversified oil and gas at 124. It's a US firm with a dual listing here in the UK. It's ridiculously cheap and has been for years but I think from now on with oil gaining real strength it could be up for a re-rating. A move last year from AI into the FTSE 250 will also start bringing in more volume and investor interest. They're very well managed. They buy up existing oil and gas assets from companies in trouble or going bust when the oil price is rock bottom, then make those assets more efficient. They throw off loads of cash, have a very good hedging policy in place and even pay a dividend. Events are now heavily on their side too. The Biden administration has stopped oil exploration on federal lands, thus cutting the domestic supply, something diversified benefit from as they have less than 1% of their assets on federal land. On top of this the fracking industry is in trouble and production from that is heading downwards and unlikely to return. US frackers are saddled with huge debts and are being forced to cut production in favor of reducing that debt while others have simply gone bust. With the best fracking sites exhausted and only the more costly sites available the fracking days look numbered, which means the US is now reliant on imported oil once again. The price of oil and gas can only skyrocket over the next few years so I think companies in that space are the place to be. For more on oil and future inflation see further below. I brought into a tiddler I've been watching for some time called Cloud Coco. It's very small and I brought a lot at 1.15. It's a risky one but looks good. The directors have been buying up loads over the last year which is always a big positive. They help businesses and the public sector work smarter by giving them a single point to purchase all their IT needs, cloud working, cybersecurity, etc. What I like about this one the most is it's a company that has changed from an old unprofitable business to a new more profitable one. Yet the share price only reflects the old crappy business. These are the sort of shares that can give you massive profits. Revenues are moving up sharply and profit looks to be heading much higher too, though I don't pay any attention to that EBITDA rubbish. At 7 meters market cap they look like they could be due a big re-rating at some point. I took a late jump into an unusual one on Friday Zoetic. It seems pretty liquid, and I got quite a few shares at 83p. It's in the cannabis area, making smokable CBD products that replace tobacco. Yes I'm officially in the drug business. Give me a minute, I'll pop the boot and you can have a look at my wares, just make sure no one's looking. Like Cloud Coco, it's a company that's changed from doing one thing to another, but the share price still only reflects the old business not the new. They've sold off the old natural resources business, and are moving into selling CBD products in shops, both here in the UK and globally. There are also huge barriers to entry as there's a lot of legal stuff to get through to get permission to sell this stuff. What I also like is the phrase market disruptor. Their products have huge potential to upend the whole tobacco, vaping market. Let's see a
it could be one of those that sits quietly for ages but just rockets out of the blue. Elsewhere, everything seems okay. Tulu looks to want to push higher. Looks like there's an overhang for the moment with things Mark, but once this out of the way it should break north quickly. Energizer is on a yellow card but sticking with it for the moment. I get the feeling the market makers are taking advantage of that huge dividend coming off the share price to scare people out. Intain is nudging towards that 1,400 area gain. Will be took over at some point and it's worth more around 1,900p for sure. Kinos has broken north of the sticky 1,400p area so should race ahead from here. The road to Dunkirk. I've long held the view since the 1,990s that there will be no inflation. That deflation would be the main problem and that's exactly how it's panned out. The inflationary era of the 20th century ended in the early 1990s, and the 21st century will be an era of price stability with periods of deflation. But what have central banks done? Fought a phantom inflation by raising interest rates, each time plunging the global economy into a depression. The 2008 collapse was caused by Ben Bernanke jacking up interest rates in response to a galloping oil price. But that price was driven higher by rampant speculation, contango etc., which the Fed could have stopped by intervening in those markets. Paul Volcker did it with the silver market in the 70s, it's nothing new. But instead, believing it would feed through to galloping inflation, there was almost full employment, he took interest rates to crazy levels. Yet the headline inflation rate had barely budged. That's because people's wages were low and the spending power of those wages was further reduced by food prices rising on the back of the higher oil price. Raising interest rates simply killed those at the margin by raising their mortgage costs, which was the real cause of the 2008 housing collapse, something exacerbated by the stupid gambling on the part of the big banks with CDOs etc. CDOs didn't cause the collapse, they were the consequence. The stupidity of raising interest rates to combat a non-existent inflation was repeated by Jerome Powell in the lead-up to the pandemic. There was no inflation yet he kept raising them, believing full employment would lead to higher inflation. Yet there was patently no inflation and no prospect of it. All it did, was make the US and the rest of the West vulnerable to another 2008 collapse, in turn causing governments to increase their national debts to dig themselves out of a hole of their own creating. Welcome to the world of stupid. First central banks drive more people into poverty by unnecessarily raising interest rates, then increase inequality by cutting them back to zero and pumping vast amounts into asset bubbles that only benefit the wealthy while doing nothing for the people they drove into poverty. But now the world is about to get stupider. In the same way as the 1930s was a decade of deflation in a century dominated by inflation, so now we are on the verge of a decade of inflation in a century of the opposite. For the first time since 1992 I can see all the drivers of massive inflation emerging. Possibly even hyperinflation. It'll likely be short, as in a few years but very brutal and very damaging. Which is why I'm going to issue my first warning to the few out there who will bother to read this. If you work in the private sector your wages will not keep up with what's coming. The public sector is a different area but even they will suffer the huge rise in the cost of living. A great many companies will simply go bust or move to lower cost countries. To use the Ardennes analogy inflationary pressures are building up just like those armored divisions in the Ardennes. Nobody knows they're there but they're concentrating in the biggest traffic jam in history, and when they burst out very few will be prepared for the consequences. The first big driver is oil. It's been rising for some months and will over time rise much much higher. In the US domestic output is being slashed by Biden's prevention of oil exploration on federal lands, while the fracking industry as described earlier is on its knees and unlikely to return to anything like its previous output. Which makes the US much more reliant on imported oil at a time when the Saudis and Russia have cut output. 
To make matters worse Latin American oil output has collapsed over the last few years to the point where Venezuela will soon become an importer of oil. Against this dire supply backdrop global demand for oil is going to soar. From now until 2025 China will pretty much double its oil imports as its five-year plan involves stockpiling huge reserves of oil, as well as strategically vital metals. In the US the Biden administration will spend trillions on vast infrastructure projects, everything from bullet trains to green projects to upgrading its power grid. Think of all those diggers, all that tarmac, all that steel. These projects, just as China's did in the years prior to 2008, will also increase demand for oil. In the UK and many other nations similar projects will be initiated. On top of this, as nations reopen, transport from cars to aircraft will consume even more oil. So with the oil price roaring upward so this will increase transport costs feeding through to everything from food prices to clothes. So now, with governments taking on huge debts and increasing them still further, and with inflation for the first time in decades starting to rise central banks will sit on their hands and watch. Partly because if they raise them they'll destroy the governments of their own nations. If they raise interest rates the interest on the debt will consume even more of each nation's GDP than it already does and eventually bankrupt them. Governments themselves also actually want inflation because inflation can magic away the debt. So central banks this time will attempt to stimulate inflation at the very time the idiots should control it. And at the very time when inflation is going to take off without any help from anyone. Meanwhile Janet Yellen tells the world it's time to go big on spending. One way the US and the world could generate even more inflation and spend even more, is to revalue gold. Germany has it, the US has it, Russia has it, China has it. Pretty much everybody in the world has been hoarding it or hoovering it up. Except the UK which, in in the days of Gordon Brown as Chancellor was actually dim enough to sell it. For a rock-bottom price. The US hasn't revalued its gold reserves for 30-odd years. Back when Trump first took office as Treasury Secretary, Steve Mnuchin was sent to Fort Knox to assess what they held. At about the same time Germany repatriated its own gold from Fort Knox back to Berlin. The reason for this was during a national emergency the US can seize all foreign gold held on its soil in Germany, concerned that such a crisis could emerge at some point in the future, secured its holdings. One of the main reasons everyone wants gold as a backup is that you can revalue it and create new money literally from nowhere. Take the US. If it were to revalue its gold reserves to today's price it would be able to print trillions of dollars in new money. Against that new price the dollar would plunge and simultaneously you would get inflation. It's been done before, in the mid-1930s under Roosevelt and in 1971 under Nixon and in both cases it triggered inflation. Revalue gold to just $15,000 per ounce, it's currently around $18,000, and this would result in an 85% reduction in the value of the dollar, inflate away the national debt and push up the growth figure. At the stroke of a pen. The Weimar government in Germany did pretty much the same thing in the wake of defeat of World War I to get rid of the war reparations. Saddled with the huge debt it drove its currency to worthlessness with hyperinflation and paid the debt with worthless currency. It's historical heresy to say they did it deliberately but they did. They stiffed the victorious powers good and proper and eventually, at the Treaty of Locarno forced the Allies to reduce the burden and spread it over a far greater period of time. That's the great thing about inflation, the debt remains fixed while the currency used to pay it increases in volume. Start off with £200,000 of personal debt, have a year or two of hyperinflation and you pay it off with worthless money. The debt remains the same no matter what. Think this stuff catches people out. Not everyone it doesn't. A German multimillionaire, Hugo Stinnes saw inflation as the only way out for Germany after World War I and so planned accordingly. Back in the 1920s he was the Warren Buffet of his day. Born into a family that grew rich on coal mining, 
he expanded into shipping, transporting not only his own coal but also lumber and grains. Before the inflation hit he took on vast debts at the bewilderment of all around him. But with those debts he expanded assets that produced profits in hard foreign currency and also brought gold which he stored in Swiss vaults. When the hyperinflation hit he brought up all his bankrupt competitors and became what the Germans called inflationskonig. The inflation king. At the end of it all he paid off the debt in worthless Reichsmarks. Clever eh? The UK meanwhile will find itself caught in a trap. Having no gold it can't create new money to either inflate away or pay off the debt. But at the same time global inflation will raise the price of imported food, petrol and other essentials at a time when the Chancellor will want to raise taxes to pay towards the debt. All this exacerbated by a short-term burst of consumer spending from the money saved by individuals during lockdown. As inflation rises wages in the private sector will fall precipitously in real value, companies will go bust or move forcing more people onto government benefits or into public sector work, thus increasing the burden on the government. Infrastructure spending will inevitably explode, in a desperate attempt to mitigate unemployment and in some cases as a necessity from the decision to withdraw from the EU. Take for example the Boris Borough, a tunnel connecting Northern Ireland to the UK mainland, something to be constructed at vast expense solely to evade insane regulations that just months before weren't there. The national debt can only go up. While at the same time the economy sinks beneath increasing taxation and slow growth. Worse still, were the US to go down the route of actually stoking even greater inflation, the corresponding global inflation from that would have a devastating effect on the UK. Living standards would slip further than plummet. Inequality would widen to extremes. Wages in the private sector would have no chance of keeping up with inflation while indirect taxation would reduce the spending power of those wages even further. Those on fixed incomes would be wiped out only those in the public sector would keep up, thus driving even more to migrate to wages paid by government, in turn increasing the debt burden and the future pension bill. So for the first time on this blog I'll issue a warning. High inflation, possibly extreme inflation for a brief period has a very high probability of emerging. Are you prepared for it? Everyday stuff. How do people show their wealth? Gold jewelry? Fast cars? No, I've come to the conclusion it's the simple mortar and pestle. Wealthy people on TV programs always seems to have a clearly unused mortar and pestle sitting on a kitchen counter somewhere. Who uses a mortar and pestle? And if they do, why? I personally think a mangle should be an item bespeaking wealth. Then, when I'm eventually rich I can get rid of the washing machine and tell the wife that using a mangle is a true pleasure only available to someone super rich and with time on their hands. Will this go down well? Married at first sight, married at first argument, Australia is compelling viewing. I normally hate these sort of programs but this really keeps you glued. It's pretty obvious some people have been picked solely for ratings. To my mind Jess and Dan were completely unmatched and I don't think Mike and Heidi are exactly compatible either. But then I suppose in real life people marry all the time who are completely incompatible. I think lockdown has exacerbated a lot of differences and has led or will lead to a lot of relationship breakdowns. Which is why I think this program is such a hit. I notice a fair bit of dodgy editing mind, such as the bit where throughout a supposed single conversation the bloke's pint is full one minute, then virtually empty, then full again. In the news Keir Starmer is coming across as all earnest and serious and, probably doesn't stand a chance. People only vote for someone they'd happily have round for a barbecue. He, she could be any old idiot but if they could prop up the bar with them they'd get the vote. Would you share a pint with Keir Starmer? Have a laugh over a half-cooked sausage? Nope. Perseverance landed successfully on Mars. It's starting to get busy up there these days. Fascinating looking at pictures of the Martian surface. 
Makes you think of the silence and the whir of the motors as these rovers trundle around taking samples etc. Are we alone in the universe? I think yes and no. The distances are so huge and the time taken to travel those distances so great most may have disappeared by the time we discover them. One physicist said this week if we send super fast probes to other worlds we may find nothing but rubble. Easter Island in space. Next update 8th March.